Hello, you're listening to the Dietitian Cafe, brought to you by New Outra, where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. My name is Harriet Smith, and I'm a registered dietitian and founder of HRS Communications. The Dietitian Cafe is a podcast for healthcare professionals to learn from and expand their horizons within the world of nutrition and dietetics. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Bianca Farmloose and Nikki Clark on today's episode to discuss whether there's a place for disability in dietetics. Hi, Harriet. Thanks for having me, Harriet. Thanks for joining us. So this conversation is going to coincide with International Day of Disabled Persons, which is on the 3rd of December this year. And it's also a topic which I'm really passionate about as I live with several long-term health conditions, including Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, scoliosis and hearing problems. So I'm really looking forward to highlighting how having a long-term health condition or disability should not and does not need to hold you back as a dietitian or a dietetic student. So before we delve into the episode, let me tell you a little bit more about our guests. So first of all, Bianca is a specialist gastroenterology dietitian, and she's currently the IBS lead at the trust that she works at. Bianca has been employed by the NHS for nearly five years. And since receiving the shielding letter during the pandemic, she's been working solely in an outpatient setting. Nikki has worked for the NHS for the last 12 years since completing her postgraduate diploma in dietetics at Leeds. Nikki currently works as an advanced dietitian for a mental health trust in the northeast of England and has done since the service was developed eight years ago. Nikki's involved in continual service development within her dietetic team and clinically she works in a tertiary specialised neurorehabilitation hospital. So it's a great pleasure to have both Nikki and Bianca with us. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the impact that our guests' disabilities have had on their student training and their current dietetic roles, and also how disability is perceived in the workplace. We'll also ask Nikki and Bianca about what more they feel could be done to support disabled dietitians in the profession. So thanks again, ladies, for joining me today. Hopefully this will be a really great and relevant discussion for us to be having on the Dietitian Cafe. Bianca, I want to begin by asking you, what does the term disability mean to you? For me personally, I think the disability kind of refers to a condition, whether sort of physical or mental, um, that can impact on day-to-day life. Um, often something might impact as well on on work and generally just makes things a bit more difficult. Great thanks for sharing that with us Bianca. Nikki have you got any thoughts on what the term disability means to you? Um, I view disability as uh, probably based on the Equality Act Um, it's not a temporary disablement but it's something that individuals have to deal with long term Um, The Equality Act does actually say it's over 12 months um, for it to be classed as a disability. People with a disability um, have a disadvantage in some ways um, compared to those who are able-bodied. Thanks, Nikki. And we can certainly link to that definition in the show notes as well if anyone's interested in in reading more about this topic. I wondered if you would both be able to kindly share with us a bit more about your health condition or disability. And I I know that you are both happy to talk about this on the podcast, which is great because sometimes it can be a difficult topic for people to share with others. So, Bianca, back to you again. Can you tell us more about your health conditions and how does it impact you on your day to day life? 
Yeah, absolutely. So like, like yourself, I also suffer with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or EDS. Um, this is connective tissue disorder that can affect um, things like your joints plus some internal organs. So for myself, um, it's, me, it's meant that I've gone on to develop a couple of autoimmune conditions, um, including POTS, which causes um, low blood pressure, but issues regulating your heart rate. Um, and I've also gone on to develop um, issues with my mast cells, which causes allergies and a compromised immune system. So as a result of my conditions, I have to take sort of a lot of painkillers and other medications. But it also means that I have um, a lot of pain, dizziness, sort of blurred vision. Um, and it can definitely make um, full time work a little bit more difficult. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Bianca. And we'll talk more about um, the impact that it has on your work as a dietitian later in the episode. Just before we do that, I want to come back to you, Nikki, and ask you to share a bit more about your disability and how it impacts on your day-to-day -day life. Thank you for sharing that, Bianca. It's it. I, I think um, you, you, what you suffer is, is is not that well known, so it's actually really really helpful to to educate people on it. So thank you for sharing that. I'm, um, I have multiple sclerosis myself um, and I'm quite open uh, about my condition. Um, for those of you who don't really understand multiple sclerosis, it's an autoimmune disease where the myelin sheath, um, which is like the insulin around nerve cells, is recognized as foreign. Um, so is attacked by a faulty immune system. Um, which causes disrupted messages to be sent from the brain. So the messages just aren't getting from the brain and, and you, you're not able to move or function as, as you would want to, basically. Um, so this can manifest in so many ways. Um, if you just imagine the intricacy of the nervous system as a whole, it, 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 it's, it's very impressive uh, what human nature achieves um every every person diagnosed with multiple sclerosis is affected differently um yeah and it, it just depends on on how much damage is within your central nervous system so sometimes it can affect sufferers physically or mentally or both um i've mostly got physical symptoms um related to my walking and fatigue having ms is a bit like living on a cliff edge, I, I would um, sort of describe it as, but I've tried to minimize the height of that cliff um, by undergoing stem cell therapy um, to ablate my immune system and reboot it um, with my own stem cells from my bone marrow. Um, so hopefully this will prevent further autoimmunity and result in damage to my nervous system. Um, and, and my daily functions, hopefully, hopefully. Um, so this may mean accepting the disabilities that I currently have, be feeling less fearful um, of my future ability loss. Um, so my mobility is affected. So day-to-day -day life is altogether slower than, um, than it used to be. Um, but... That is frustrating, incredibly frustrating, especially for, for a person that's quite ambitious. But I've got so much support and adjustments um, that make it a lot easier. So that's support home and work. 
Um, I work in the most disabled friendly building and I'm a wheelchair user as a result of my MS. So MS affects me in so many ways. It's so many day-to-day functions, but with incredible support at home and work, I cope, basically. Thank you so much for sharing that insight, Nikki. Um, And also, I know you're going to touch more on the stem cell ablation later with regards to shielding and the effects that that's had on your work. So it'll be really interesting to hear more about that. Uh, Can I just ask you both, at what age were you diagnosed with your disabilities? Because that might be quite relevant to the conversations we're going to have later in terms of your dietetic student training. So Bianca, um, how old were you roughly when when you, you got your EDS diagnosis? Um, so my EDS, I think I was 23, but, um, I did start off with, um, other issues, autoimmune conditions as a result of the EDS. And I think I started having problems since I was about 17. So quite young. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last diagnosis was perhaps two years ago. Okay. So it's kind of been a staggered thing. So does that mean when you were training as a dietitian, you knew that you had EDS or was that diagnosis during or after your training? Yes, so I, I knew I had EDS when I was when I was training. Okay, and, and was that the same for you, Nikki? Were you aware of your disability before you trained as a dietitian? Yeah, I, I, I first presented with symptoms in my eyes, um, known as optic neuritis, when I was 15. Um, so in a way, I, I tried to view it positively of kind of like, right, okay, well, I think I would find this hard to be diagnosed with something Um at, at an older age where I'm used to being an adult with able-bodied adult um but thankfully I, I, I was almost diagnosed in childhood kind of thing um and I've kind of I feel like I've grown with this disability so the acceptance is a bit better yeah that's interesting because I was diagnosed with EDS when I was 24 in my final year of studying dietetics mm-hmm. and uh it probably like you Bianca it made a lot of sense all these strange symptoms and things that had been happening for years finally came together but it did have a big impact on my studies because you had all this time of not really knowing what was going on trying to pass your placements being on your feet all day in a hospital dealing with lots of pains and and um not really understanding what's going on. So it's interesting how we've all been um affected and diagnosed at different points in our journeys. Mm-hmm. Um I just want to take the conversation back a bit to dietetics and find out where your passion comes from and what led to you training as a dietitian. Bianca, can you tell us more about what drove you in this path? Absolutely. So I think my reasons for sort of pursuing dietetics are quite uh, multifactorial because um, as a result of my Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, I I developed gastroparesis um, and I had some quite sort of new treat was offered some quite new treatments at the time. Um, and one was the one was the gastric pacemaker. And I think when I was offered it, offered it, they'd only done 20 or something in the country. Um, ultimately, it led to me being um, tube fed a couple of times as well, which really sort of made me think about diet and how it can help the body and hinder the body. Also, um, my auntie um, was a clinical dietetic manager of a private hospital in Manchester, and she had sort of a very long, successful career. So I think personally for me, dietetics has been on my radar for a while. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting, Yagra. I've never heard uh, of a pacemaker, a gastro pacemaker. I'd like to look more into it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it is really interesting. You often just think about them being placed, don't you, sort of, you know, for cardiac issues. But, um, yeah, they do do see, seem to put them in for um, gastroparesis in some patients. But it just doesn't seem to be... It's one of those situations where um, not, not all the sort of areas will have funding for it. So I was lucky to be offered it at the time, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Um, and uh, in terms of yourself, Nikki, like Bianca, was it also through your personal experience that you came to dietetics? What, what was your motivation behind <laughs> joining the profession? It wasn't actually. It was um, I started studied biochemistry as an undergraduate because I liked both of those subjects at school. The thought of working in a lab, though, didn't appeal to me. Um, so after career guidance and an introduction to the theoretical role of dietetics, it ticked every single box of my interests. And I was like, oh, my word, this sounds absolutely brilliant. I definitely want to do this as a career. So I shadowed a couple of dietitians um, prior to my postgraduate course, and I, I now enjoy my career daily <laughs> as a result. So overall, a positive. That's, that's, really that's great to hear. Um, in fact, I came to dietetics through my scoliosis. It was after I had um, spinal surgery and I lost a lot of weight and wasn't making a good recovery. I was referred to a dietitian um, and that was when that light bulb moment happened where I realized there was this career that existed that combined <laughs> my love of food, science, medicine. <laughs> so I, it's interesting how, how we've all come at dietetics from slightly different angles. Um, so I wanted to ask you both about the impact that your disabilities had on your studying when you were training as a dietitian um, and perhaps on your placements as well. Bianca, did you find that you had your disability impacted on that at all? And if so, how? Um, Definitely. I definitely um, had a lot more time off than most people, unfortunately. And I remember um, thinking, okay, you know, I've got to keep going. I remember going to an exam once with a cannula in my arm because it was fell mid-treatment. But yeah, I definitely had more, more time off. Um, I think I had to catch up with an extra week at the end, purely just because um, the attendance wasn't quite quite there. Yeah, I can relate to that because um, in my final placement, I also had to miss quite a bit of time due to ill health. And that added additional stress because you're yeah. thinking, oh, my gosh, are they going to be thinking that I'm not wanting to be there or that I'm lazy? Um, and especially when I didn't have a diagnosis at that time. So I can completely relate to that. But I think my understanding is that placement providers are quite understanding now. And mm-hmm. um, you can communicate to your universities if you are yeah. a student living with a, a disability and they can put um, allowances in place to facilitate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we yeah. can talk about that, perhaps talk about that in a bit more detail later. Nikki, did you find that your disability impacted on your training as a dietitian? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing a, a familiar theme from, from all of us. Obviously, the, the stress um, has, a, has a massive impact on, on each of our disabilities. Um, so, you know, for me, the stress of the, the diploma and the placements was of detriment to my health um, as I experienced a relapse through my studies. Because um, I, I don't know, this, this is my presumption maybe, um, I presume you, your immune system is boost, boosted by the adrenaline, the fight or flight response. So may have provoked more autoimmune 
safety activity under stress. Um, so the university and my close friends and people on placement were incredibly supportive, which kept stress levels lower um, and allowed me to make a recovery from that relapse. Um, I'm still incredibly close to all the girls that I trained with um, and there's over 10 of us in 13 years on we're, we still um, sort of talk very regularly. Yeah that's great having such a close-knit group of mm. peers on your course and out of interest was there anyone else on your courses that were disabled when you were training? Um, oh Yes, another one of um, uh, another um, student on my course actually underwent chemotherapy at the time, so that was re- that really difficult. There was there was a couple of us that that probably had reasonable adjustments and and were undergoing quite a few things at the same time as you know really focusing on on your dietetic graduation and qualification. Mm, yeah definitely how about you Bianca was there anyone else on your course not to my knowledge no that there wasn't um I don't I really I don't think there was no we're going to come on to that obviously talking about whether we think that um you know disability is represented in the profession and whether there's a place for disability just before we do I want to ask you Bianca if you've got any advice that you would give to other student dietitians who are maybe going through university or about to go to university and, and they have a disability, what can they do to help them to best manage that, do you think? I mean, I guess it's difficult because some people aren't perhaps are a bit more sort of concerned about being open about their disability. And I guess, you know, you've got to weigh that up and whether you feel comfortable with that. But for me personally, I registered with the um, disability service on day one, pretty much. And they were really helpful. Um, I was allowed um, a dictaphone to help because um, some of my joints sublux and it's very painful. Um, and they provided me with other bits of equipment as well. Um, and um, I was allowed, I think I had some extensions if I needed them. I tried not to use them, but um, they were there if they if I needed them. And even sort of little things like, being able to take the library books out for longer. Say you're having a lot of pain one day and you can't get to the library. You've got that extension. So all these little things really kind of added up and made things a little bit easier. Yeah, I think those are really nice practical um, suggestions that you've given. Nikki, did you have any to add to that? Mine very similar that, that you know, I would in, in, try and encourage students to, to please be open, transparent and honest about your disability. Most people are really supportive and, and happy to accommodate any kind of reasonable adjustment. Um, no person should be at a disadvantage due to the disability that, that they were maybe born with or have acquired. Um, in, in society, we're working towards um, a, a sort of adoption of the, the social model of disability, which I just find, I find so uplifting that that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, things are really moving forward, which is which can only be good. Um, certainly when I was at university um, in my final year, I remember doing final exams and I was allowed to use a laptop and that made such a difference because I was losing the ability to hold a pen and write in my final year. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you said, Bianca, also getting um, those additional considerations for exam time, I think can be really important. Yeah, 
So Nikki, do you have any top tips or advice to universities or placement providers who are listening so that they can better um, improve the experience of future students or existing students with disabilities? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really. I, As you've already said, um, Harriet, I trained for my diploma in dietetics that, that leads Metropolitan University and experienced excellent support with regards to, you know, the, the problems that I face. So I'd certainly not have any suggestions for improvement, really. Um, but I, I, I do think it's so important that services are available to students with disabilities. They're advertised everywhere and they're easily accessible. Um, so when going on, out on placement, um, you have to provide, um, well, I did anyway, um, <laughs> quite historically, um, you have to provide an introductory st- statement about yourself, um, your past experiences and interests. On that form, there was a question um, to declare a disability and needs. This made conversations with the staff on placement less awkward um, and anxiety provoking. Um, so the, the university took responsibility for sharing my disability, and I was a great—I was grateful for this at the time, um, as I was not as open as I am about it now, and, and almost a little bit embarrassed um, of my disability when I was going through training because it wasn't so visible, um, and I didn't want people to know. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Um, And Bianca, you probably can as well, um, living with perhaps a less visible disability. Um, We can talk about that more in a moment, but just on that note about placement providers, Bianca, is there anything you think um, they could be doing better or any tips that you have to share? Um, I guess um, given, you know, we've been through COVID and, and now we've got this flexibility with working from home and doing things from home that we didn't used to have, um so i think if you know if that can be incorporated into the student's day if it's easier so whether it's accessing you know medical information at home um online tutorials flexibility with start times um you know depending obviously on the student and what works best for them i think something that was useful for me um because with my dizziness and sort of um, feeling faint a lot, was that I was luckily luckily placed on um, wards that were close together on placement. So that kind of limited walking around um, and, 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 you know, the pain as well. So that was really helpful. So I guess it's just about flexibility and speaking to placement providers. Yeah, definitely. And having those conversations early on um, in the journey as well, particularly before placements, yeah. Um, Nikki, tell us a bit more about how your disability affects your day-to-day life in, in your workplace. And um, I know you, you've talked previously to myself and Bianca when we chatted before about um, how great your employer has been in supporting you in your day-to-day job. So perhaps you can tell us a bit more about um, how they've helped to work with you to facilitate that experience that you've had. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'd say it's the physical part for me, which is most difficult. Um, I'm a wheelchair user. I, I At work and on the ward to get around, I use an electric wheelchair. Um, so, I mean, I used to walk around with a trolley for balance um, to maintain my leg muscles, strength and mobility as much as possible. However, I 
just just didn't feel as productive as other members of the team. Um, so I've resorted to using my electric chair when in the hospital. That, that I would say that's a big thing with disability comparisons. I, I really I really wish I didn't um, compare, but yeah, I just didn't feel as productive. So it was, I, I, I feel a lot happier with the amount of work that I'm able to achieve, to achieve in my chair. Um, so, I mean, because of my lack of mobility through the day now, uh, because I'm, you know, I'm not walking with that trolley anymore. I try to exercise in the evenings, my non-working day and the weekends. So I have to, I have to say, I constantly feel like I don't get much time to relax or do nothing. However, going to the, to the point with regards to work, they're incredibly supportive. Um, and obviously that's why they've allocated me the work at this site, which is incredibly mobility friendly. Um, so I have a reduced caseload um, due to the extra time it takes me to do everything really. Um, I've now got a good balance of, of ward and clinical work and service development um, also, so I can support other members of staff as well um and i i've got it i mean i don't i don't know whether you potentially going to ask us later on um harriet but i mean I, I i've got a very good relationship with um board members of the trust and um, with regards to equality um, and I'll, I'll bang on about that later i, I would think yeah, absolutely. I've got a question for you later on about the work that you're doing with your steering group at the hospital. So it'd be really interesting to hear more about that. I just wanted to come back to Bianca and ask you a bit more about how your disability affects your day-to-day -day work, Bianca. It definitely makes things a lot more challenging. Um, I'm, I'm never going to be the fastest dietitian, that's for sure. I'm definitely sort of slower when it comes to sort of writing and reading. Um, I think words jump around a lot on the page for me. Um, and I think when you were in pain all the time, it just really sort of, it just makes you tired really. Um, so something that's been really helpful for me is, um, I was sort of referred to occupational health at work, um, and they got me, um, a really supportive chair, um, for my, that's really helpful for my joints. Um, and also like colored overlays so I can focus a bit better, um, and there was a time where um, something that was really helpful was um, my start time was adjusted. That was really good because it, it meant that I missed some of the worst symptoms in the mornings. Mm -hmm. um, so I could start at slightly better time for me during the day. Yeah, they sound like really practical mm. um, measures that you've taken to, to manage your disability at work. Nikki, have you um, implemented any other practical yeah, I, I, quite similarly to Bianca with the flexible working hours, that really, really does make a difference to me. Um, you know, so it's helpful for a slightly later start if I've had a um, disturbed sleep with symptoms, etc. So that is really, really helpful. And I do appreciate the, that accommodation um from from my management um i've also been supported to work from home but even more so during the pandemic um i use dragon software to dictate my electronic records due to loss of dexterity in my hands the, they don't function quite as well as they used to 
Um, so this this is mostly helpful, but it can be a little bit dangerous when chatting to colleagues in the office uh, without telling Dragon to go to sleep. And that, that often happens. Um, but my day-to-day uh, work um, with fatigue and things like that, it's been, it's been, um, I've got, it's been accommodated in the sense that I've been given an accessible office at an incredibly disability-friendly hospital that I work in. The words boards I cover um, of para-assisted doors, um, on entry, disabled toilets, um, every element is is wheelchair-friendly and it, 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 it really is. It, it, it's a pleasure to work in this environment. That's really encouraging to hear, Nikki. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Nikki, just whilst we're um, on the topic of your hospital, I know that you've been working with them to make the environment more accessible as a co-chair of the Disabled Staff Network and a member of the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Steering Group. Can you tell us a bit more about what those roles involve, please? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Sorry, this this is probably where, where I'll witter a bit. Um, basically, I, I attend meetings um, that are organised to infl- influence the trust approaches to making the workplace an inclusive place to work. Um, I work really closely with the trust equality and diversity lead, lead and have done since the network was developed back in 2016. Um So the Disabled Staff Network is sponsored um, by the Trust Director of Nursing and Chief Operating Officer, which just shows me how committed um, the Trust are to to equality uh, and place staff inclusion as a very high priority, um, which is, it's just very comforting. Um, So we have organizational development meetings um, and and both um, both members of staff so the sponsor and um, the other staff member who's the executive director of workforce and organizational development join us in these regular meetings both of these members of staff are incredibly uh, senior within the trust, but they're both incredibly approachable and supportive um, of the disability staff network's ambition to change and enforce culture change within the trust to promote equality for every single member of staff. I really could talk all day about this work uh, that I do with the executive and, and board members, um, but I do. It does make me feel extremely valued within within the trust, and I think that's a, that's really important for disabled members of path, uh, staff who at times feel undervalued. Yeah, and, and your passion for the work that you do really comes through, which is fantastic. Mm. Do you have any advice to anyone listening who wants to get involved with their own hospital trust? Um, how how would they go about um, taking on a role such as the ones that you've just described? It, uh, even if you're not actually a co-chair and you're just a member of the network group, I think there will be network groups in each trust for all the protected characteristics. So um, there'll be like a disability staff network um, that that you can join. Um, the potentially will be a, um, a BAME staff network, um, an LGBT 
staff network. So it's just kind of just inquiring as to whether the, the, those staff networks, and I, I would really encourage anybody to, to get involved. I mean, um, it's it's not just the co-chairs that the obviously do a lot of the work. It, it's all members of the staff network um, who are pivotal in, in all this change that we're, that we're providing within the trust. Now, on that note of change, I just want to take the conversation more to the dietetic profession side of things. Um, Bianca, do you think that as a profession, we're doing enough to help people with disabilities and dietetics? And do you perhaps think there are any areas that may need to change? And if so, how? I think, sadly, no. I think we need to keep sort of raising awareness of, you know, of disability within our profession there's obviously been a very much needed drive um, in more recent years to sort of encourage and represent different, you know, ethnic minorities and backgrounds, which was really obviously needed. But I feel that disabled people are not equally represented in dietetics. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to keep talking about it, having these open conversations. Um, personally, for me, um, I would prefer to see publications, you know, an interview with, a, you know, a day in the life of X, Y and Z, you know, a dietitian with a disability in perhaps the BDA magazine or something similar. Um, and, and just see how it sort of works for them rather than sort of reading about it, you know, a disease um, from a journal. I think we just need to keep sort of talking about it and writing about it, um, particularly now because. I'm sure sort of disabled people, you know, um, over the last few years uh, would would love to have been able to work from home. And now more than ever, we have the opportunity to work from home because of COVID. So, um, you know, we just it's all about sort of creating these opportunities that we previously didn't think we could have. But it's sort of taken a pandemic to show us that we can and we do have these opportunities now. I completely agree with you, Bianca. in terms of uh, I think uh, there's been quite a huge and, and necessary movement with racial equality um, yeah. with globally which which I think is lovely and I think that's brilliant but at the same time I do think sometimes a disability is neglected um, and and it would be it would be I think it would be really helpful maybe recognizing and celebrating the great work of disabled dietitians, despite the, the many faces that the, the many challenges that they face in life. Um, I know that the BDA have a disabled staff network, but I haven't noticed much advertising really of this group. And I, yeah. I do wonder if that, that could be a way um, that it's just made a bit more accessible for people. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think, um, as you say, there has been a huge focus over the past few years in in certain areas of dietetics and promoting diversity. But I think there is definitely a gap. And hopefully by doing this podcast, at least we're getting that conversation going. And hopefully, um, Bianca, it sounds like you've volunteered yourself to write a a magazine article there. So um... (laughs) Sounds a bit like it, doesn't it? (laughs) But in all seriousness, you know, those kinds of opportunities are are great um, to really encourage other students I think as well to come into the profession despite having a condition or a disability it really shouldn't be a barrier to becoming a dietitian as we're, we've hopefully all demonstrated in this episode. Mm-hmm. 
Nikki, you have a visible disability. So do you find that that has impacted on how you've been treated by patients or other staff, for example? Can you tell us some examples, perhaps? Yeah, I, I would say that most people are incredibly helpful and, and treat me exactly the same way as any other member of the team um, in my place of work. You know, I like I say, I do feel valued. Um, when I did more walking and, and was pushing my trolley and things like that um, with an obvious disability, I did see um, various patients in, in various patients in different environments around our mental health trust. And I was treated incredibly well by most, um, most of the patients. However, I, you know, I, I did, I did wonder, especially when, you know, I was struggling with mobility. I did wonder whether there was some attitudes of, of questioning my dietetic ability because of, of my um, mobility mobility um problems and challenges um i don't know whether that's being that's me being incredibly sensitive um you know it, it, it's it's always been enforced to me that you have to look well patients want to see um dietitians looking well and um you know and sometimes that isn't always possible um it, it is difficult but you know that there may have been reference to that in the past um when you know my symptoms were particularly bad um and i should have really taken some time off um i i, I probably wasn't um fully well to be at work so i mean disabled staff often try not to appear as the weak link of the team so work harder uh, and longer to be as productive as any other member of staff despite the disadvantages that they face um, many disabled staff often feel judged um, but I do believe culture really is changing so that reduced caseloads are supported um, and a appropriate expectations and realistic expectations are, are given for dietitians and I, I just I, I really commend that how these things are changing because just a snapshot there of how dis disabled um, members of staff and disabled dietitians feel um, just gives you a little bit of an idea. Yeah that's really useful insight thank you for sharing that. Um, in contrast to that, Bianca, you have a, you could call it invisible disability. Um, do you find that having EDS has impacted on how people, whether that's patients or staff, perceive your condition? And if so, how? Yeah, absolutely. I think people are always surprised when I tell them I've got sort of four long-term conditions. Um, and I do get comments when I'm sort of, I remember being at work and um, I'd had a, a recent sort of procedure um, and I had to get the, get to, into the lift just purely to go up one flight of stairs. And I think it was some patients actually that sort of commented, oh, oh you know, who gets in the lift for one flight of stairs? You know, because clearly I look perhaps youngish and healthyish. Um, and it's things like that that you really think, hmm, you know, I, I'm really, really in a lot of pain today. And I've sort of dragged myself here. And 
you know, you get these attitudes and then it's quite, it can be quite hurtful at times. And it is quite sad, really, that, you know, it's sort of, mm-hmm. you know, 2021 and we're still sort of having these attitudes towards things we can't see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can understand that. That must have been really frustrating. Um, having said that, I think there has been a, an increased awareness, perhaps of mental health conditions, which obviously are also invisible conditions most of the time. Um, but it's a shame, like you said, that physical invisible disabilities are still not not getting that recognition. Um, Have there been any positive experiences that you've had, um, Bianca, at work as a result of your disability? So from a perspective with patients, um, I think that you know, I've sort of had tube feeds numerous times. Um, I've been on lots of different diets to manage my condition. And I think that's enabled me to sort of build a good rapport with patients. I Hopefully my empathy skills are, are fairly good. And hopefully, you know, my communication skills um, have developed as a result of that. And, and sometimes I felt that sometimes sharing, appropriately sharing, you know, this is how the tube felt feed felt for me kind of thing has um been helpful definitely with um with patients yeah absolutely sorry Nikki did you Um, want to add to that I was I was going to say I I completely agree with that Bianca that that I think um sort of dietitians with disabilities can offer an extra level of empathy um you know in my in my circumstances I see a lot of patients with different neurological physical and mobility difficulties um and I often as Bianca said I often develop a really good rapport with the patients um I see in in neuro rehab and and can actually show that deeper level of empathy um possibly emphasized um, by my electric chair and mobility problems. Um, the the people that I work with um, on, on the wards couldn't be more supportive, but I do, I really do feel disabled. Dietitians do add value um, in that sort of relationship that they're able to achieve with patients. Yeah. Absolutely. You've really sort of summed it up there as well, Nikki. Mm. Like it, it really, I think it really has benefited me in practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, Bianca, do you see a dietitian yourself with your um, gastro problems? Have you ever, as in the capacity of you being a qualified dietitian, have you ever had to see a dietitian from a patient perspective? Because that must have been quite interesting if so. So um I was lucky I always had the support of my auntie sort of prior to the degree um, and then um, the, the, di- the dietitian auntie, should I say. Um, and then I think when I was in my final year, I saw um, a really specialist allergy dietitian in London um, for low histamine diet. And she was really good. Um, and she didn't make me feel awkward in any, any way because obviously I had a bit of understanding and that that was really useful. So it wasn't it wasn't um, strange. I think it was still really good. Yeah, I think that's a, it sounds like a really positive experience. Um, and I don't know if it's the same for you, Nikki, but I find a lot of uh, sorry, Bianca, I find a lot of dietitians that haven't actually heard of EDS and often they're quite keen to get in touch mm-hmm. when they know you have the condition 
to find out more about um, your knowledge of it and, and the impact that diet can have on the condition. Have you have you found that other dietitians have been asking you about this topic? Yes, definitely. I think, um, you know, sort of within my sort of peer group at uni as well, um, sometimes they'll ask me, you know, questions about EDS or mast cell activation syndrome or something um, similar. Because I think for these kind of sort of rarer diseases, should I say, the... Um, the knowledge base isn't there. Um, so just as we come to the end of the episode, um, both Bianca and Nikki, I know you were you received shielding letters during the COVID pandemic. Um, so how has COVID changed the way that you practice as a disabled dietitian? Do you think that there's been benefits from working remotely? I know you've talked a bit about that already, Bianca, or has it perhaps made it more challenging? Um, Nikki, let's come to you first on that one. But I, yeah, I received a shielding letter because I, I literally I came back into the country um, having just had stem cell therapy. So effectively had no immune system whatsoever. Um, so I received a shield, shielding letter because COVID hit at the same time as as I had um, no immune system. So um so as much as I've always been supported to, to do work at home um, and was always encouraged um, at the same time to have like a, a presence in the hospital, uh, which, you know, obviously I have to, to, to review the patients, but it's sometimes could be confusing as to where I should do my admin and write up my notes. Um, so I'm not sure whether... I, I was completely um, trusted to, to sort of manage that safe balance. But I suppose since COVID um, has appeared in all of our lives, um, it's homeworking is, is now fully accepted for everybody. Um, and I am trusted to manage um, my time between um, the hospital and working at home. Um, and homeworking is definitely more convenient for me as I live in a bungalow um, with easy access to everything I need. Um, so I work on the wards at 50% of my hours, um, which works really, really well for me. And I don't feel I have um, to defend or, or justify the, the other 50%, you know, at home where I work very productively. Definitely. It's great to hear how um, you've managed to make that work for you and you've got a good balance between the mm. two. How about you, Bianca? Have you always worked remotely prior to the pandemic or has this been a change as a result of COVID? So pre sort of COVID, I was, um, I'd say 70% of the time was on the wards, which I did really enjoy. And then I did a little bit of outpatient clinic sort of based at the hospital. Um, so when I got the shielding letter, um, I did find it quite difficult at first because um, I think, you know, it's, it, it did feel I sort of lived and worked at home and I was in a studio at the time and it was very small. Um, and I think it makes things more difficult in, in some ways, particularly the mental health aspects of things when you're um, sort of shielding, you're kind of concerned about getting COVID and then you're obviously having to stay in and isolate. Mm -hmm. um, but I think on the positive side, um, you know, my manager has been really helpful um, in sort of where I'm having a bad day now, whereas um, I could I could work from home then whilst I'm not on the ward. So if I'm in a lot of pain, like sort of uh, or sort of ability is not 
not great. For example, when I had this um, sort of surgery to my foot, I couldn't walk properly for a while. So being able to do clinics from home, you know, I think I had quite a few days of sort of lying in bed doing clinics with my foot elevated. Um, So that was really positive. So I think I think it's definitely more helpful longer term. Um, but it, I did, I did miss the ward environment, sort of mm. that buzz and the MDT and the, um, that side of things. Mm-hmm. Are your MDTs now virtually, um, Bianca, do you look like, so you don't actually see people anymore? No. So uh, when I say MDT, I mean sort of the ward round in the mornings because my right. my my shift uh, my role has shifted from mostly inpatients to fully outpatients. Mm. So I do clinic sort of most all day long, really, um, and I don't I don't sort of see ward patients anymore, even remotely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that's something you miss. I, I do miss. I miss it. Yeah, I do miss the the buzz of being on the ward and. Um, you know, interacting with other other members of staff and in that one-on-one rapport with the patient. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, I'm st- obviously I'm I'm glad to still be working and still seeing patients, but it's all over the phone, um, and I I miss the one-on-one. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to that, um, mm-hmm. and of course, a lot of dietitians are still working from home, and many are still having to shield and be ultra careful for various reasons. Um, I guess time will tell what the future holds in terms of, of working and being back in the hospital environment. Um, but Nikki, I think your your work is obviously a great example of how you've you've got that that mix. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice to hear how you managed to get that right balance before COVID hit, rather than it mm-hmm. being a result of the pandemic having to shift mm-hmm. people's mindsets. So yeah. um what would you say is the main takeaway message that you would like other dietitians listening to take away from this podcast? Um, Bianca, let's start with you. I think really just what you sort of started out with, Harriet, um, you know, in reference to this sort of long term health condition or disability, you know, it should not and it does not need to hold you back as a dietitian. And that any sort of student dietitian or potential student dietitian um, should know that, you know, they still have so much to offer despite a condition. I mean, for myself, I'm a van six now. And I remember thinking, gosh, this is just insurmountable. I won't get through placement. I won't get through this. But, you know, and I'm sure Nikki's felt the same at times. But, you know, we've both got there and we've both got different illnesses and it's sort of not stopped us. So Mm. as long as there's the flexibility that's needed. It's definitely um, achievable. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm, definitely. What What would you say is your main takeaway message, Nikki? I I, I totally agree with that, um, Harriet. Like what you've said there, Bianca, is 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 exactly the the sort of thing, the take home message that I was thinking. You know, really do really encourage anybody who wants to be a dietitian and, and maybe are put off because they've got a disability to, you know, still uh, apply and show that interest and, and to sort of management, um, you know, please value the work of disabled dietitians and consider the quality that they can bring um, to the patient care with the extra life experience that living with a disability brings. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's really it, it is of massive value. Um, you know, dietitians with a disability 
are, are incredibly valuable working with patients. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really uplifting message to take away from this episode. Um, just a quick question to you both. Do you have any resources or websites you recommend where people can go to get support um, in the workplace whilst living with a health condition or disability? I know we talked prior to recording about access to work and that's something that I've looked into and I know Bianca you have as well um is there anything else that either of you would recommend and perhaps we can link to it in the show notes possibly the the equality act which defines um a disability um a really, really useful um, website that that I refer to as co-chair of, of the Disability Staff Network is the Human Rights website, um, which is really, really, really useful um, to, to understand your rights within the workplace. Brilliant. Yeah, we'll definitely make sure we link to those in the show notes. Thank you very much, Nikki. Is there anything else that either of you would like to add before we finish this episode? Nothing from my end. Um, thank you very much, Harriet. I've, I've really enjoyed this. You're I don't ready? have anything. Sorry. Okay. I don't have anything further either. I've just, I've, yeah, I've been really enjoyed being here today. It's been a really good experience, definitely. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much both for joining us for this very important and much needed conversation about disability and dietetics. A huge thank you to New Ultra for making this podcast possible. If you do enjoy listening to the Dietitian Cafe podcast, please do consider subscribing or leaving a review or five-star rating so that we can reach even more healthcare professionals. You can also follow New Outra on social media at New Outra across all platforms to keep up to date with the podcast and to hear the latest updates on medical nutrition. Thank you very much for listening and our next episode will be out soon. 